This episode is brought to you by Arc Studio Pro, a well-designed screenwriting software that's quickly growing to become the new industry standard. While used by professionals, it's also very beginner-friendly due to its intuitive design and stress-free collaboration tools. Join the thousands of screenwriters who have already made the leap. Go to arc, A-R-C, studiopro.com to get started for free. And if you follow the link on my bio, you'll get $30 off your subscription once the trial ends. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Angle on Producers, the show where we spotlight producers from all corners of the entertainment industry to understand who they are, what they do, and why they do what they do. As always, I am your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. I know I say this every episode, but I am continuously so grateful to you for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. However you found the show, however you end up here, just humbled, humbled by you taking the time to listen. And I hope that you soak up all the gems and wisdoms from this conversation. If you don't already, please take a moment to subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, tag a friend, spread the word. Anything really helps. I am on IG mostly, so at Carolina Gropa, and then the show is at Angle on Producers. Also have a newsletter, so if you're interested on signing up for that, I send it out once a month. Got a lot of tips and tidbits and insights into things that I'm reading that are currently really helping me navigate my own journey as a producer in this crazy town. So sign up for that. You can head over to angleonproducers.com or there's a link in my bio. I am beyond excited for this episode and this chat with the one and only Alana Pena, who is my fellow South Florida sister. We grew up near each other, hanging out in the same mall, which is what the cool kids used to do, by the way. And we only pieced it together decades after meeting here in LA. So yes, Alana holds a special place in my 954 heart. She is the creator, showrunner, executive producer, and director of the critically acclaimed, Emmy-nominated Diary of a Future President on Disney+. The two-season series has been called must-watch TV by Parade, wholly charming by the AV Club, and consistently sweet, authentic, and humorous by Romescla. It also won the Best Latinx Show from the Latino Media Awards in 2021 and was nominated for a GLAAD Award in 2021 and 2022. Alana was named a 2020 recipient of the Forbes 30 Under 30 Hollywood and Entertainment Edition. She was also honored in Variety 2021's Inclusion Impact Report. And if that wasn't impressive enough, she also served as a writer on the critically acclaimed series Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on the CW, where she wrote and produced multiple episodes, contributed song lyrics, and was featured both on screen and on the soundtrack. Fun fact. Alana is truly a powerhouse, and we're so lucky to be intercepting her journey at this stage. Alana is continuing to develop projects through her overall deal at CBS Television Studios, in addition to writing features all over town. She's also penning the reboot of the 1988 film Working Girl, produced by Selena Gomez. Gems from this episode include how Alana became one of Hollywood's youngest showrunners, how she drew inspiration and authenticity from her 12-year-old self, and the importance of community. So without further ado, let's hear from Alana. Okay, I am so, so excited and delighted to have the Alana Pena on the show with us today for this episode. Um, The way that you were brought into my life and into my ether is something that brings me tremendous joy. And the, the, the the sort of like inflection points especially this year, just made me giggle so much. And so it's now even more of like an honor to have you on the show. Um, 
for the listeners, so Alana writes often with someone who used to be a client over at Color Creative. And so when I started, I had heard her name a million times and was like, oh, yeah, I should meet her one day. Another Latina, like kicking ass in the biz, like sign me up. And then we just, it just, you know, got busy, didn't happen. Cut to my fiance is a talk show producer. And then he has Alana to produce for his her first talk show appearance. And he was like, babe, like, how do I say this name? And I was like, what? Alana Pena? Because he was so, he, you know, he is a, a white man. And so he was very mindful of making sure he was pronouncing things right. He's an ally. Um, and so. Oh, he was he great. Was, yeah. He was fantastic. He is. I like him a lot. So it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I, and then when your name came up again, I was like, okay, I need to like reach out to this woman and like hang and grab a coffee. And we basically went to lunch and the rest is history. I don't know. I've been stalking you ever yeah, since. Yeah. I've been stalking you. It's a mutual, st- it's a mutual, um, invasion of privacy. I love, um, <laughs> okay. Well, you're amazing. I already know that, but let's tell the listeners why you're so amazing. So I always like to start at the beginning. <laughs> of just, you know, when did you discover your path? And then at what point did you kind of realize, oh, I can actually like maybe do this for a living? Yeah, I mean, I feel like another fun Easter egg for the listeners is Caroline and I grew up very close to each other in South Florida. And we were both independently theater kids, you know, a mere 10 minutes away from each other. I can't believe it. We certainly bumped into each other at States one year. I, I mean, did I ever go to States? I think I went once. I don't know. We, we got into thespians really late. So one of the things I did, my school didn't have a drama club. Mm. So me, um, and a couple others like founded a drama club. I was very, I was a theater kid, but I was also now that I'm like looking back at it, I was like producing from day one. Yeah. Like, I was like, okay, great. There is, I I went to a theater program at Northwestern, the Cherubs program for a summer program, came back, was dying to direct theater, was like, oh, there's nothing to do. Me and my best friend were like, we're going to do a modern adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) We just like did it. And we called it the senior project. And it just like kept going. It might still happen. I don't know. But that, so I actually, we, so we brought thespians to my high school and they still do it. I definitely, I don't know if I ever made it to, I definitely went to a, it might've been county the day I got into college. Yeah. I was, I won superiors also. So it was a really Amazing. nice day. Um, and I'll always remember that, <laughs> but I was a huge theater kid. I always thought, and I think that's just because that's like, what's available yeah. to us. Acting was sort of like the thing I would do in theater. I, I loved writing too, but I thought I, I always was like writing as books. Like it, it didn't, mm-hmm. my brain completely, um, it just wasn't really open really to playwriting until I got a little older. And then I started studying it in college and I was still doing everything. I was still acting. I was writing. I was directing, but I was mainly like, I am going to act. And then I slowly in college, um, I took my first playwriting class and I fell in love with it. And then I got into this program called Creative Writing for the Media. I went to Northwestern and Creative Writing for the Media, you do a different um like kind of writing every quarter. So there was like short film, feature film, playwriting, and you, you're with the same 11 other kids for two years. It kind of like mirrors a writer's room. You get to really know each other's work. A lot of my friends from that program, like we're out here, we're writing, we still send each other work. Um, But I fall of senior year was TV writing. Mm. And 
that point I had dropped acting, which is very dramatic when you drop acting in college, like you pass around a candle and you cry. It has to be dramatic. Like, How could it not? It has to be dramatic. <laughs> Tears were shed. We did go to the pub after. Um, Wait, so you had to formally drop I, acting as like a major? You had to like... I just dropped. It was, I was still a theater major, but I stopped. Acting was like a, I guess like a concentration within okay, the major. Okay. And I... I was like, I'm no longer in acting. And I loved my teacher and I loved my class, but it was one of those moments where like I was in a three sister scene and she like, (laughs) she was like, Alana, like all the other sisters are coming in to meet with me to talk about their character. Like, why aren't you? And I realized like, oh, it's because I want to write my sitcom and I want to do all my other stuff. And a cool thing about Northwestern, I'm going to do this sort of like producer leaning just because that's where we're at. Um, A cool thing about where I went to school is there is like a lot of student theater, a lot of student produced and student run theater. And that's the kind of stuff I, I, again, I couldn't like name it, but like when I went to camp, when I was little, I was running around making films. And if you had to like put a crew to them, I was the director, I was the writer, I was the producer. And then going to Northwestern and having these, I was like, on these theater boards and we were producing our own work. And I was never a formal producer, but I sat on a board, which is basically like being on a theater company. Mm -hmm. And I loved being in charge and I loved having creative control. And it really clicked in that TV writing class. And I was like, wait, I saw it as a job for the first time because we had people like come to our class and be like, I am a TV writer. (laughs) And this is my job. And I was like, and I, you know, theater, I I've, I always love and I still want to do theater, but I saw a much clearer path for me with like TV and film. And I just kind of fell in love. Yeah. And do you think that because you've been mostly in, in the TV space and I know that you're writing some features and you're kind of getting that up and running. Do you think that you went the TV route because you had those examples of like, here's TV writers and here's how they do it. And there's yeah. maybe a lot more of a pathway, I guess, because you, you, the, the, the roles are more clear, right. In television versus if you're just shooting your shot, writing feature after feature, do you think that's why you kind of skewed in that direction? And I wonder if someone had come and like, was a brilliant feature writer, do you think you would have gone the other mm-hmm. way first? I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I'm like a bit of like a type A personality. You type and A I, in this business? Me? Could you imagine? <laughs> Um, and I really liked, I remember somebody coming into my class and he wrote on weeds Mm -hmm. and he talked about, it was the first time I'd heard like levels in a writer's room and it just felt, and I come from like my family, you know, doesn't do entertainment. I don't, I'm not like I've, I have like a cousin in New York who's an actress and besides we're kind of like the black sheep. And I, um, I didn't have any like concrete example of like how this could be a job and hearing him talk about like the writer's room hierarchy. And I think it just felt, I think especially practically right after college, I was like, oh, I can be an assistant. I can work in writer's rooms. I can work my way up. The longevity of TV, I think when you are type A and you're a recent graduate and you're like, oh, if I get on something and it runs for a lot of seasons, Ironically, I left a lot of jobs after one season because there was like, you know, no room for a promotion or this and that. But I think it was because of the like clear path that I sort of saw for myself, knowing that it was also an incredibly uphill battle and really difficult. But I just was like, 
it, it combined all of my creativity that I love. I also love TV because I mean, film is similar, but when I, when I fell in love with TV, the collaboration was really exciting to yeah. me because I came from theater, the, the character drivenness. Yeah. Like that was why I, that's why I write like the first short film I ever wrote. People were like, it's two people talking in a room. Like they need to go somewhere. <laughs> and I was like, but, but they're talking about a breakup and it's so interesting. Like I love character and I felt like TV, you live yeah. with characters for season season. Um, and I just felt like I saw, I saw like jobs for myself and, but now I feel so lucky because now I'm able to do yeah, both. Yeah. Okay. So then you come to LA stars in your eyes. Where do you land first and how long did it take you to find your little inroad into the business and what was that opportunity? Well, fun fact, I went to New York first. Oh, you did. Did I know this? Mm, Maybe. I don't know if you knew that. It was nine months. It was really short. I just, I always sort of imagined I would like move to New York. I think I still wanted to do theater and wanted, I wanted to do all of it theater, film, and TV, and I'd never been to LA. And I think in my 22-year-old brain, New York was the hub for all of it, whereas LA was more specific to TV and film, which is not untrue, untrue. but I think New York doesn't. Of course, if theater is your passion, it certainly is the hub of that, but I'd say... But there's no... Yeah. You can't... I really wanted to be an assistant in some sort of TV writer something, and that is the TV film hub. It's it's here. It's Mm -hmm. in LA. Um... So I got a job in non-scripted, actually. I worked at a company. They did, like, all of Anthony Bourdain's okay. shows. They did a lot of, like, booking and travel stuff. I was an office PA. Um, and then I finally visited L.A. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is, like, where it is. And I would say to people, I want to be a TV writer. And they wouldn't look at me like, oh, they'd look at me like, oh, resume. like, I might know something of, like, an assistant, this and that. So I moved to LA. I got a job as a script PA on an animated sketch show. (laughs) That's like a piece of advice I give is like so many of the shows I worked on were not necessarily like my, you know, number one dream. Like I wasn't, you know, it was like an animated sketch show on Comedy Central that taught me a lot. And I met a lot of people, but it's not something I ever really would imagine myself writing for. But that's okay. Because I met a lot of people and I learned how to be like an assistant in an office, like for scripted. And then from there, I went to a period drama. Was that Rain? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have a friend who used to be a writer on Rain. And I saw that in your credits. Wait, who? Andrew Lindo. Do you know him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Andrew. He, he's from Florida too. Did you know yes, that? Yeah, we went is. to college together. So I've known him. I don't want to say. FSU. No, he went to UCF. Went to UCF. Very, very tall. That's what, I mean, I guess, a very tall man. I guess I meant. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah, he's super tall. He showed me his like short. We were. Yeah. I loved you. I, we I, talked I, to like, him a little bit. days produced a short that he had written like when I had first started producing. I kind of forgot about it. But yeah, I was like two people in a house talking and there was a scene in a car. It was like very exciting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He's great. He's awesome. he, yeah, it was UCF. I remember we were like Florida buddies and he was very kind to little assistant me. And I remember he like wanted my feedback on his short yeah. film. And I was like, oh, my God, he thinks I'm a real writer. <laughs> um, and yeah, that that was like my first really true. I was an EP assistant, like I assisted to an executive producer writing team. And that was kind of my first like foray into like a real writer's yeah. office. This is how it works. This is what a showrunner does. This is what the line producer does over in Canada. This is what, you know, every single job does. And it's, I met 
every job from then on came from a person from the job before. So a friend of mine from Rain, his now wife was working on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and her boss was going to run this sci-fi comedy called People of Earth. And that was the next show I worked on as a showrunner's assistant. And yeah, I was basically climbing the assistant ranks, but on different shows because when a season would end or when like, you know, if it was a sketch, like the creative part would end, I would basically figure out if there was an opportunity for me to get promoted or for me to get an episode. And if there wasn't room, I would leave. Can you explain for the listeners what that means? Get an episode. Yeah. So on episodic TV, they, you know, you get a certain episode order. Some shows have six, some shows have 10 network shows can have up to 22. Rain had like 16 or something this season. And the episodes are all written by different people. And the writers obviously get like first dibs, the writing staff, but a lot of times you can give freelance episodes to assistants or to guest writers or, you know, I, I think that they ended up giving a, an episode to like this woman who wrote these really funny reviews of the show. She she was like a really funny writer and had like a blog mm. and she was a big fan oh, of it. That's cool. And like, it doesn't have to be somebody in the family. Yeah. Um, but I I basically asked the showrunner, like, I, I'd been there for a season. There were a ton of assistants, and I knew that it was, like, a long shot. And I also, not every showrunner is... Um, Receptive. As, like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's, 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 I, it's, you know. Yeah, I think, I I think asked, the inner politics of navigating all of that is very fascinating. Um, it's probably a separate podcast, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... Spoiler alert, now that I have been in that position, I love doing it um, because I think that it, I mean, not only does it like empower the people you're working with and and it gives them like a leg up that could really be meaningful for them. But I also, I think that like when people, it it makes the work better whenever, when people have skin in the game in that way. I think it's like, I love giving assistance episodes. I love doing it. Um, because you're the showrunner and you're going to get, you know, final say and control over it anyway. So why not let somebody else feel like an exciting ownership and get a first, get, write a draft of a script and be with a script from the beginning. I like to have writers on set if I can. I like to have them live with the script. Like, I'm very like, I, I, I know what I know and I'm learning what I'm learning. And I'm also like, I surround myself with geniuses who can help shepherd. The, so it's like, it's only ever been good when I've given when I've yeah. given episodes to people, but not every showrunner is like that. And there, there was no particular room in this season and which is fine. I don't fault the showrunner. I don't fault anybody, but I just was like, you know what I, and it's hard. Cause you, you know, I got my coffee the and the Keurig every day and I had an office and I had my friends and like, I had a steady job in an industry that's really hard, but I had to, make the decision to leave and go to another show that was only 20 weeks. You know, it was a first season by um, five month room with 10 episodes. And that's where I learned a lot about being a showrunner's assistant, which prepared me for my next job, which I got through people of earth, which was being a showrunner's assistant on crazy ex-girlfriend on the CW. And then that show I, I grew up on, I like to say. That changed everything for you. Yeah, that's, that's, and people, it's like, oh, you like landed at that show right after. And it's like, that was, I really, really hustled to even get that job. And then once I got that job, 
I had three jobs. You yeah. know, I was the showrunner's assistant, I was the writer's assistant eventually, which meant taking notes in the room. And then I got an episode and then I was staffed. Yeah. So, so how many years did it take you from you go to New York, fine, nine months, then you pop over to LA? I think it took me... Uh, four years? Okay. Four Four to, well, four years till my first episode credit, five years till I was staffed, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's pretty good. And I then like. it's, it's, I mean, I'm very, very lucky. And it's, it's, it's a combination of a million things. Um, and a huge part of it is my bosses believing in me and nurturing me and giving me the space to grow. Yeah. Okay. So then tell me about like, if you could define what a showrunner is and does, what would that be? And then. What is a misconception you think people have about writers and showrunners? A showrunner is, <laughs> you know, it really is kind of what it sounds like. They're on the show. <laughs> they are truly in charge of everything. I think the misconception that I think showrunners themselves can have, too, is that therefore they have to do everything, like with a capital D. And <laughs> I'm like, creating an adage as I'm saying this, what I've learned is to delegate with a capital D. <laughs> um, it's, I think that people, especially when it's your work, when I, so after Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I went on to Diary of a Future President, which is my show, and I got to run it season two. And I think that uh, you feel this like control and you feel this passion and you don't want, it, it's scary. It's like, you know, giving your baby to a crew, but I... I, I get it sort of goes back to giving episodes to people. I love surrounding myself with smart people. I think that so a showrunner basically oversees every single department. They um, they are the person that makes every decision. Like when I was running diary, everything from obviously the words on the page, the things the actors or the characters are wearing to how loud if you drop a pen, how loud the sound is when the pen falls. Like you are there from the inception of the idea to pressing send at the final mix you you make every decision but that is I think the misconception is that you have to like you know uh so much beauty that came out of my show was from letting um people on the crew take risks and play and knowing what I want you have to really know what you want but also giving them the freedom to explore Mm. meaning you you know what you want an episode to look like but you let an editor like try something and then maybe that ends up giving you a different idea about something and then it grows and it it's, you know, it's, it's not micromanaging. It's giving people space and it's a stressful job. I love it so much. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's, it's also like the most supported I've ever felt. Yeah. I mean, it's so similar to really what a director does in the feature space. Right. And like what I find yeah. so fascinating is that in television, Certainly, it's a writer's medium, and the showrunner is queen. Um, but you know, the like now I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? It was going to be so smart. It looks like a director in <laughs> film. Yes, the director in the film. Oh yeah, that the directors then in in television are more like for higher guns, right? They're coming in, and it's. I don't want to say paint by numbers because it can be sort of diminutive to what a director contributes to television. Certainly they bring their own flair, but there's certain boundaries they have to live within in terms of their creativity. Whereas obviously directors in the feature space are the showrunners who then are also directing. Yes. And I guess some showrunners do also direct episodes too, right? 
Yeah. So I directed in on season two, I directed um, the second to last episode and it was the kind of thing that because I had been with the show and I had been on set for the 18 episodes before and I knew the show so deeply and I knew what I wanted it to look like and feel like it was a really natural step for yeah. me. Um, but also like, yeah, I mean, directors come in, the the vision is set up. I think the pilot director too really sets the tone and the vision. We had Gina Rodriguez direct I've our pilot. Yeah, yeah. And they <laughs> they work with the with the creator and the showrunner to like, you know, figure what is this vision? What does the show look like? What does it feel like? And then, you know, every director comes in and, and does try to match that. But in a, you know, you hire ideally creative people who also are like, like bring great yeah. ideas to it, like an editor, like a great costume designer. Um, so I actually after Diary, I directed an episode of Gordita Chronicles. And that was, I did not write that show. I did not run that show. And that was my first time sort of experiencing it from that side. And I loved it. I And I think that every director, you know, approaches things differently. I definitely approach it like from writing, from story. Um, but it's different. Like there were certain things when I was on set directing where like, they would be like, oh, you know, we're packed for this day. We and I would think to myself, like, oh, well, this scene, like maybe we, that we don't need all these characters in this scene. Like this, the emotion of the scene could be with just these two characters. I can make that call. That's on my show. Yeah. So it's like it's the kind of thing where if that was diary, I, I would like then tell somebody and then those characters would be cut. But it's this isn't my show. Right. And I can, like you know, if asked, give my idea or if it makes sense in the moment. Um, and it ended up happening, (laughs) but it's not something that I volunteer because that's also, that's just my thought. I'm not with the show. Right. You don't know what else is planned. You don't know what other episodes or how those characters maybe become relevant in episode eight or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of context here. You're missing, right? You're just there to get that one episode delivered to the best of your ability. Yeah. Right. So it was like relinquishing that control and just being like, all right, let's just and and it was fun. It was fun in a different way. It flexed a different muscle. I love that. And so then with Diary, you basically become one of Hollywood's youngest showrunners, whatever that means. <laughs> I don't know who coined that. But like, does that I don't does know that like impact you at all when when you're branded in that way to to hear those words? I don't know. Like, how does that impact you? If at all? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. I I think it impact before it was even branded, just being on set. And I know this is a, uh, an audio medium, but I am short. <laughs> I am like a smaller person. I am really um, passionate and enthusiastic. And I talk with my hands yeah. and I am. And I think that that is not always what like society sees as a boss, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, um, you know, a problem. Yeah. And I think and I, I also think that I internalized that a little bit. Oh. I think when I got the job, <laughs> the job being 10 episodes of my own show, <laughs> there was a voice in my head that was like, this happened to you too early. This happened to you too early. Um, this was a fluke. This was lightning in a bottle. I wouldn't say that out loud because I didn't want to lose it. I told my therapist and I told my mom. I was like, I have a fear this happened to me too early. And for me, it was this journey of learning like, okay, actually it happened to me at exactly the right time because that's when it happened to me. I am completely like in my power and capable of handling this. I did handle it. I made two seasons. I mean, but but I think in the beginning, it's like you feel that fear. And then also I worked with a person who 
you know, would say you're younger than my daughter, like to me more than once. And I did not know what to do with yeah. that. I mean, we live in a society where, where ageism is real. And I, I, the thing that I think about is like one day we're going to be those people, right? One day we're going to be in our 50s and there'll be some like person who's born right th- right at this moment as we're recording this podcast right. who is going to be like <laughs> our boss, you know? And we're going to have to be like, fuck, yeah. but you're like so young. And it, it does mess with your mind because we as society believe that like age means wisdom. And if you don't have the age, then how could you mm-hmm. possibly have the wisdom to be a leader or an effective leader? And I think we've seen yeah. time and time again, that's not necessarily the case. And then you add on top of that, that you're a woman, you know, and I'm sh- certain right. that like only exacerbates it, especially if said person is also a woman. I find that it's actually sometimes right. harder to combat. So, well, I got it from, I mean, that, <laughs> I got that person there, there was men and there were also the women. I think that, you know, women, especially in this industry, a lot grew, there was only one. Yeah. There was only one spot. There was only one seat at the table. And I think that as our generation kind of is like taking the mic and taking these jobs, we're like excited that it's happening. And therefore, because we were, you know, granted opportunities that, are newer mm-hmm. and we are recognizing that they are um like essential and i think that sometimes it it's harder men or women to like re- it's like oh it, there's the feeling of i well i struggled and i had to yeah. to fight to get where i am and the fact that you're not and and i've i've definitely you know it so so i was feeling the internalization of what I was also experiencing on set and on, you know, just, just nobody was ever outright in any way aggressive. It's just you like a little thing that you pick up. It's just you, right? When you start to create a narrative to use writer's lingo, everything then Mm -hmm. supports that narrative. What you see supports the narrative that you have. And if you are locked into that narrative, it's really hard and it's a lot of energy, especially when you're in a new experience and you are working maybe harder than you need to because you want to like, you know, not prove yourself, but you want to do a really good job and you want to deliver. Like that's just a human emotion. Like I I think that it, it does get in your way. And I applaud you for having the foresight as such a young showrunner to like, you know, see that, hey, like I'm, these feelings are coming up for me and I want to like navigate this instead of be a victim to it or whatever. And that now that you're on the other side, you can talk about it, acknowledge it. And I'm sure it's only made you stronger in whatever you're stepping into next, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, even between seasons one and season two, I was like, okay, I know that I can handle this. I know that I can do it. And season two was pre-vaccine COVID, like we had, you know, it was October, 2020. It was miserable in so many ways, but I felt like, and I always talk about, it's no coincidence that the character I created is this like 12 year old girl who eventually becomes this great leader. Mm. Um, where it, like, as I learned about this character more and tapped into her, I'm obviously not the president. You're I not? honestly feel like the thing, <laughs> never the things I tapped into were more of the 12 year old girl of yeah. it all because if you had told 12 year old me you're gonna have a tv show she would have been like oh yeah it's on Disney right like are we in it are we also on Broadway <laughs> like that I saw the world for myself and it's only as you get older and you see what society is putting out there and you see 
you're, you start internalizing and you create a narrative. So it's like, I got in touch with that 12 year old girl who's like, yeah, like anything is possible, right? I think the, the way we feel possible. before the world and the industry starts to beat down on you and can kind of rob you of your enthusiasm and your gumption for this business is crazy. I mean, yeah. I remember when I started producing, it was one of those things where it was like, I didn't know it was impossible. So I just did it. Right. And then everyone later was like, yeah. Oh, how did you do that? It's impossible. And it's like, I don't know, I guess it wasn't to me, I just found a way. And I do think as we get older, mm-hmm. like, you start to have more fear and how you navigate things, people tend to be more risk averse. I, I don't I don't know why mm-hmm. you would think that with some wisdom and literal empirical data to support that we would feel more compelled. But I, I certainly feel that way. Some of the, sometimes I think about certain things that I did, the hustle that I had when I was like 20 and I moved out here and I think back to that girl and I'm just like, oof, you know, like if I had to do that again at this age, it'd be really hard. I'd be, it'd be a lot harder. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, a lot of love for that version of me, but it's something I think about a lot, you know, and I think confidence is something that, you know, you, you had talked about in some of your other interviews and by other interview, I just mean the one with on the talk that I read and prepared for, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but no, like this idea of like Hollywood or this world wants to con- constantly put us in boxes, right? And then, especially in this business, especially as a woman, I, I know I'm, I was guilty of it in certain ways of like having to be a version of myself that I thought people wanted because that's what had been modeled, yeah. especially as a producer and as a leader, as a also small woman commanding a set. Like it can be yeah. really challenging. But one day it just kind of clicks, right? And you go, wait a minute, like I just have to be myself and that's enough. Instead of trying to cater to what Hollywood expects, like I'm just going to be myself. And the minute you figure that out, people start, the right people that vibrate at your frequency start coming for you and you start finding your people and then it becomes a much more pleasant experience. So I'd love to hear like the journey for you to get there because it sounds like you too had to find it. It wasn't just out the gate. You had this confidence. Yeah, I mean, and that was a lot of like tapping into like, I think TikTok calls it inner child work, (laughs) but tapping into like that version of myself when I was 12, I think it was helped that I was writing this character who was unabashed and believed she could do anything and like nobody could tell her no. And I was honestly like really inspired by this. And she was based on me. So it was like this kind of meta you know, mind trip where I was being inspired by the younger version of myself, but I was also writing her. Um, no, I, I I think also mental health is just huge and important. And I am like open about my mental health yeah, journey. Same. And um, I am on anti-anxiety meds yeah. and they changed a lot for me. And I, I go to therapy and I think that's really important. Um, and all of that, I, it was... It it blew my mind because when I was first coming up, I was like, oh, I have to be the version of what Hollywood wants me to be. And that was based on my own stuff. That was based on society. That was based on stuff like, you know, professor. What was that version of you? Like, describe that that lady. That lady always had, um, she wore like dresses from Banana Republic. (laughs) Because that's also like what my mom was like, oh, no one knows the industry. So my mom's like, you're going to an interview. Like you have to buy all these like Ann Taylor dresses. And I would wear these like wedges. And I, and I had like, you know, feedback when I was in college to, to talk like in like a lower voice. So people take me seriously Mm. and to, um, not say like so much and not show so much passion. Like, you know, the stuff that, that keeps you small um, dwindles your. Yes. 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 
And not that I mean Banana Republic dresses are we great, love banana but they're Republic. not. Like, please sponsor we us. Love Banana it's Republic. Not, sponsor yeah, us, yeah, Banana yeah, Republic. Not at all problem. <laughs> but I was like click clacking my little Nine West heels in like an animation company where everybody was wearing like jeans and hoodies, and I was like, oh, okay, so who am I? <laughs> um, and I really I thought that and. Even season one, I had this like fear that I wasn't, I was like, they bought this show. I, even that, even then when it was a show based on who I am, I was like, who, what's a creator? What's an executive producer? What does that person do? And letting go of that, the the feedback, being 100,000% myself, it, it made for a better show. It made for a more excited crew. It made for better like relationships and better connections with the people I work with, the the feedback and compliments I get are about elements of my personality that at, w- at one point I tried to hide mm. of like, like how it is like working with actors or leading people or just like being like silly on a production meeting Zoom to make people feel like excited and happy and making jokes and knowing what you want and not questioning it. I mean, I'm like, I'm decorating my house right now and I'm like, well, first I'm working with the production designer from my show, um, <laughs> which is because I, yeah, but I also, you know, when I hire like someone from my backyard, she was like asking me things and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I like that. But what do you think? Like learning to collaborate. Like before when I was afraid, I was like, I must know every answer. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, I, what do you think? And what's the best thing for this? And let's talk about it. And she literally said the other day, like, oh my God, you're so quick and you, you like know what you want, but you also, she like had, I was, she basically made me realize I was like, oh, I'm show running this house. <laughs> it's in your nature. But it's it, in your like, blood. You can't help it. It's yeah. And, but it's like that kind of, you know, excited curiosity of how can this person help yeah. me? And like, let's have fun and let's make this fun and let's be silly. And we're telling stories and we're not curing cancer and we're like, ideally if we could be doing anything else, but we're doing this. So like, It's like that energy that made the best content. A quick break from our chat with Alana to remind you that this episode is brought to you by ArcStudio Pro, a well-designed screenwriting software that's quickly becoming the new industry standard. It's used by writers' rooms all over the industry, like with Netflix's Arcane and by writer-director David Wayne of Wet Hot American Summer. ArcStudio Pro keeps you focused with intuitive shortcuts and a clean visual design, so you're free from distractions. It has tools that care about story building and character, not just formatting, with real-time collaboration made easy, like a Google Doc. So if you're a screenwriter or thinking about getting into screenwriting, highly recommend that you join the thousands who have already made the leap. Go to ARC, that's A-R-C, studiopro.com to get started for free. And if you follow the link on my bio, you'll get $30 off your subscription once the trial ends. Yeah, no, it's true. And also the, this idea that you talk about a lot of joy, you're obviously a very joyful person, or at least you you project that a lot. You, you, you know, I think you are also internally a joyful person. But also like this idea of writing from the heart, which I think is so important, because I find that sometimes 
different stages of someone's career, especially for writers and sometimes even for directors and producers, like anyone who's at the beginning stages of creating and finding their voice, right? Their POV. It's like they're trying to find what the industry wants. And if it's like, we're looking for a genre agnostic thrillers that have a political or whatever that random shit that Hollywood likes to say, people start to write to that. And like, it makes Mm -hmm. the script reading process just so soulless, right? And like, it's so boring. And then like, you'll hear people say, oh, like this script is like a needle in a haystack and it's got so much heart. And like, we all know that writing from the heart and having a really strong POV on what you're writing is ultimately what gets your work noticed, what makes people connect with it. And thus producers and execs, whatever, want to actually produce it. Unless you're doing like, I don't know, procedurals, maybe that's not necessarily stuff from the heart, but like, you know, generally speaking. Um, but, But I guess the journey the journey to get there, right? And to finally it click and be like, oh, similar to your own self-confidence of like, oh, I just have to be who I am. But then from a writing perspective, mm-hmm. it's like infusing your heart into what you're writing. Like speak to that if you ever did get stuck in doing whatever you thought was what you should be doing and then eventually finding how you write from your heart. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think especially being a writer with like an adjective in front of you, which isn't like, you know, because I'm a woman, because I'm Cuban American. I think that um, when I was emerging, when I was coming out, I had this thought, I was like, all right, guess I have to write about like my dad's immigrant story. Like, guess I have to write about, you know, the trauma that they faced coming to, you know, you, you think that like, that is this, the kind of story that um, people want when there's like, when that is kind of, you know, some of the only stuff that's out there. Um, So I definitely thought I I was like, oh, is this what I have to do? Like, is the way that I'm going to be able to break into this industry to like write about, you know, immigrant stuff Mm. and trauma, which which there is like absolutely a place for. I write, you know, more about more joyful (laughs) and I'm not opposed to it, but it's like, I thought I had to be a like Latino writer and I thought I had to, this is the kind of stuff I write. And like now, I mean, I have so many projects in development, the things I'm like pretty much like gonna have a Latina lead because that's just who I am. But it's like, these are rom-coms. These are like family comedies. These are ensemble TV, you know, sitcoms. These are the same way that we contain multitudes. These shows contain multitudes and because I'm the one writing them, I love to be able to just like put a Latina woman at the center and have her thing not be that she's Latina, but that she's a theater nerd, getting over a breakup, making new friends, whatever the yeah, thing is. Yeah, living life, having a full life, not just... Living life, imagine that. <laughs> and and I'm like, you know, honored to represent my culture and I bring that in when I can, but that's not the only thing about me. And I think when I first started out, because there were so few you know, examples of complicated, nuanced Latinas on screen. Um, I was worried that I would have to fit into a mold of what the industry like wanted me to be. Um, I wrote diary as like a sample. I, I think that in the, in the case, it's like writing from the heart is the nice way of putting it. I also think I was like a little naive and didn't really know what I was doing. I had no idea what anybody was looking for. Disney plus was, it didn't exist. It wasn't like a thing in my mind. I didn't really know that they were like building it. I just wrote a half hour that I wished I had seen about based on my family. Um, 
inspired by my diary and then it ended up getting sold. But I think if I had tried to crack the marketplace, it would have been a way worse. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing too. Like the thing about our industry is it's timing is everything and and it's impossible. It's like lightning in a bottle. It's impossible to predict Mm -hmm. when it's going to, to happen. And I think to your point, like you could have written that at a time where the industry wasn't ready or the market wasn't as wide for, for new shows, you know, taking risks on new voices or whatever, but you know, the stars align in that way, the same way that you became a showrunner when you did, you know, and it all kind of happens like how it's supposed to. But the thing that's hard for people to understand, especially when they're on the beginning of their journey, is that you really only get to connect the dots when you look backwards. You don't really know how it's all going to add up. And that's why I always always like to say like, well, trust the process, trust the journey, but make sure that you're having fun on the journey along the way. Make sure that you're constantly assessing Who are you spending all your time with? What projects, what shows are you spending all your time with so you don't get stuck there? Because oftentimes, too, if you're really good at what you do, even if you're just a great PA, like you make someone's life easier, they're going to want to keep you in that place. It's just human nature. So you have to constantly assess like, okay, yeah, all right, I've been doing this one thing for two, three years. It's time to graduate to the next level and make those opportunities come for you because no one rarely just hand them out or offer them. You have to vocalize that you're ready. You have to show that you're ready in all these ways. Yeah, You have to advocate for yourself every every time you want to level up. It really is, is like that. And I think for people who don't, you know, have that, still have to have the hustle for like elevating yourself. It's trickier if you're just kind of waiting for someone to give you the shot. It's going to be, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It's just a lot harder to navigate it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You have to tell people, people do want to help. I have found, um, but they need to have a task. They need to know what they're helping yeah, with. Yeah. Um, and that's a mistake I feel like I made out of college is just, I would email people and I'd be like, this is who I am. And I would assume that they would then know what to do with me. It's like, I was, I would assume that they would know that I'm this amazing writer and that I belong in a writer's room. And you need to, you need to do the research. You need to know the things you're asking for. And you need to ask the right people for those. Yeah. Um, a boss once gave me, it's like, if you email me your script, do you want me to give you notes? Do you want me to send it to my reps? Do you want me to like, what, what do you want me to do with it? You have to give people, tell people what you're looking yeah. for. The reason I got um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is because uh, I told a coworker at People of Earth that I was looking for jobs when that show ended. And she worked for Greg Daniels and Greg, who was a producer on that. And Greg Daniels' sister-in-law wrote on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Like, if she hadn't known I was looking, that job would have just sideswiped me and I, my life wouldn't have been changed. But I was like, I am looking for a job. I am a writer. I am a theater nerd. I, these are the things I yeah. love. And then that it's all coalesced. So yeah, you have to, you have to, I say loud and specific because you can't just be loud and you can't just, you know, mumble your specificity. You have to be both. Yeah, to be both. <laughs> I love it. Loud and specific. Well, it certainly has worked out for you. Um, I want to <laughs> shift gears now into my lifestyle section, as I like to call it, where I talk about just the realities of doing what we do, right? Especially as women. Um, I'm obsessed with mental health as well. I think the listeners have heard me talk more than I probably should um, about my own struggles with anxiety and depression sometimes and just the challenges mm-hmm. of, um, especially my own journey, because I came up, you know, f- as a freelance producer. And so oftentimes I tied my self-worth to jobs I was or wasn't getting to how much I was or was not Um, getting paid, why I wasn't mm -hmm. fill in the blank, you know, it's just a whole thing. So I'm I'm curious, like for you, some of the struggles that maybe you've had that 
you have endured and how you've combated them. Like I'm constantly curious because yes, you have a lot of joy and you need that. And it is such a rewarding business. The highs are highs, the lows are lows. But when Mm -hmm. people are in those lows, when you are in those lows, I'm always curious, like what is it that propels anyone to keep going? Because sometimes it can be really, really hard, you know, and you still suit up, whether it's a day later, a month later, whatever it is, and we just keep going. Um, And I'm just personally fascinated by the resilience and what where that comes from. So I'm curious, like that was like 18 questions in one, but the whole sort of gist of the question is, you know, just like how you have overcome these things and keep finding resilience within yourself to keep charging ahead. Um, I love that you're asking that question. I'm still working on it. I literally had to be told by my therapist yesterday to like a re- reminded by her because we talk about it a lot that rest is productive mm. because yes. it's so difficult for me because it's, but I am I'm, I mean I'm I'm freelance in a sense right now where like I have my deal for TV and I have features I'm writing but like I make my own schedule I make my own hours I have things that are due but I don't go I just walk to another room in my house to do them and I was realized this is very fresh. I was literally just talking about it. If I have the whole day to work on something, I'll just be like, well, I have the whole day to write. And then any moment that I'm not doing that, I'm beating myself up for not writing. (laughs) So even the moments, so let's say I watch, you know, five episodes of sex in the city. I'm not really resting because I'm beating myself up while I'm watching those episodes. So one thing that I am working on is actual time to rest where I'm not thinking what are the million things I'm doing I'm not doing it between opening tabs on my computer I'm not doing it for research or if I am it's fun research (laughs) but I'm just really truly resting and giving myself that time and like not beating myself up because it'll happen it has to get done so it will and I am guilty of of like shaming myself when I don't hit it's why I love making shows and being in production and yeah. being on set because it satisfies. Of the set hours. But it also satisfies yeah. the, the desire to be, yes. I don't want to say insanely busy because it's not just you like to be busy, but to be consumed by something, right? I think a lot yes. of us are, in a way, addicts. Like we're addicted to the work. We love yeah. the work. Like we, we resent it and we bitch about it. But then when it's gone, we're like, oh, we miss it. Like it's just not, you know, it, 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 the, I find that after, after having done so many of these conversations, there is like a blueprint and a DNA of the kind of person that seems to yeah. come out here and find whatever corner mm-hmm. of the industry is theirs and how they thrive. Um, and you have to, at some in some way, be so passionate about the work that it is kind of living and you're living and breathing it, which is why it is so hard to do that. I mean, I struggle with the same yeah. thing. Like sometimes even watching a movie isn't really relaxing because uh-huh. I'm like, oh, where did they shoot it? And like you just you just yeah. start working. Like yeah. you, know, you start looking at the actors and the writers and oh, should we get it? Like you just start yeah. spiraling instead of enjoying that experience. And I too struggle with this and I have not at all mastered it or I would, I'm still like a novice at it, just really creating that space and time for life and to be in stillness too you know it's so hard where you're not we're even and it's yeah I'm really working on that it is hard I also think having a community is really important obviously like you know a creative community I've had I versions of that and um but but I also just mean like friends (laughs) And just people that you can like vent to and talk to. I think like a lot of writers, you know, we, we have to, we have our representatives and we have our lawyers, but like 
there are questions that like, I, I have like, like a, like a council of friends too, that I lean on and turn to that also know me and are also really honest and upfront with me and do, and give me answers that aid my mental health and are, they have no agenda. Um, I also think this is back to work, but I think it's a self-care thing too. hiring those people. (laughs) You have hiring power is really, it did wonders for me. I mean, I think I was getting used to being the boss and having people, people sometimes don't always tell you the truth. They don't always tell you everything mm-hmm. because they want to talk to you and they want to figure it out and they want to do it. And I, I'm an information lover. I love knowing things and it would like bother me, but it's because you're the boss and some, you know, so both seasons I hired like a dear friend who's also an incredible writer who's a person that like we send each other like does this email look okay (laughs) but also she in in addition to just being like a rock solid like person to lean on when things were like stressful or if I needed to vent she would keep me in check and she'd be like hey like don't do that (laughs) like like with whether it's writing or how you know like looked on set or just like or anything she'd be like no one else was as honest with me as her. And I think it's so important to have those people because you don't want to lose yourself. You don't want to surround yourself with only yes people. I'm not saying hire all your friends. I'm not saying that everyone that isn't your friend is going to be like sycophantic and say yes. <laughs> but I just, cause the, you know, good solid collaborators are good solid collaborators, but having a person in there who just like knows you and is comfortable being like, Hey, like actually that doesn't work. Actually like or, or, Hey, like you'd let me handle this. So you can like sit for 30 minutes, somebody who can like see you yeah. like x-ray. It's like, a, it's like accountability, really right? It's like holding you to your own standards of who they know you to be. And I, I think that's how you yeah. prevent someone from becoming like an egotistical asshole to them, you know, as much as one can, because that person's still going to yeah. do them. But that I think that is, it's like having that person on the inside who can kind of ground you in the craziness yeah. of it all, I think is the only way you walk out the other side of the, this career and during this career without becoming mm-hmm. like the worst version of yourself, because there's certainly people yeah. that... It's like, I I think I said it, it's like very woo woo, but it's like these energy levels. And I do feel like if you are open and receptive to this more negative energy, like you're going to feed into that and those people are going to keep finding you and it can make for a miserable experience. And I've met a lot of those people and it always is like, like they're not bad people. There's certainly terrible Mm -hmm. humans and that's not who I'm talking about. Just people (laughs) that are sort of stuck in this lower tier of just the way they approach things. And you're like, really? Like that's the way you have to think about that or react to that. But I always like yeah. to say, you know, we can't make people be better versions of themselves. Like that's the choice and a journey that people mm-hmm. have to go on and to choose their own adventure of how they want to experience this life. And if this career is for them and if they are consumed by it, like we just talked about, then it is your life. It becomes your life. So thus the question is, who yeah. are you going to be in? How are you going mm-hmm. to show up? And when people talk about you in the room, because that's the other part is that your jobs come from people talking about you in rooms when you're not present most of the time. Yeah. And so how yeah. you show up and how the impression that you leave on people and how they're going to talk about you later is so important and it can make or break. I have literally, I had this experience when I was first starting out on the very first feature I worked on as a supervisor. And the first AD was a nightmare on that feature. And we had to push through. It was one of those things we just had to make it work. And I was just a nobody. It was just kind of like around. 
for, for that for that for that purposes of that and then cut to like five years later somebody is looking for a recommend on that exact producer and or mm. i'm sorry ad and they they called me and they were like hey i saw that you did this movie with this person five years ago what was your experience like and i was like honestly da 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 you know and now this person was going to be called in for a job interview that they're never going to get because one person who had an ex- that they never even directly communicated with had an experience of them was honest about it and that's it you know and if two people have a similar point of feedback that person gets like yeah. starts to really get shunned and at the bottom of the list of recommends and it's it is a word of mouth business like it truly is you know so it's so important like mm-hmm. i always talk about that just like be have the hustle have the grind but not at the detriment of your integrity and of being a good person because it it may work out in the short term but it will catch up with you and also who are the people that you're attracting into your orbit if that's how you're navigating i mean that's that's how i think about it that's my two cents but no and it's 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 it all comes back to like we're telling stories and i which is you know at once the most like elevated, incredible, beautiful way to look at what we do. And I I think that's important and don't lose that. And it's so meaningful and we can change lives. Also, we're telling stories. We are not doing open heart surgery. And it's a privilege. We get to do this. It is such a privilege. It's not everybody gets to do it. There's a lot of people out there trying to do it and have make a living doing it and not everybody gets to. And so all of that is such important context. And anytime I can, I I like to remind my crew and whoever I'm working with of like, this is so cool, right? Like we get to do this, like how cool. And, Mm -hmm. and also if you're grumpy and you're not happy to be here, then leave because like go get a nine to five. There are many people waiting in line who would rather be like enthusiastic about the work, you know? So anyway, um, Mm -hmm. okay. So we're gearing up to finish because it's almost been an hour. um, Cause it's, that's just how it goes by so fast. Um, I have the advice question that I always like to ask, you know, the advice that you give to anyone, but is there anything else that I didn't touch upon that you think would be good to mention? (sighs) Um, I think like make, like finding a community like creatively is also really important. I, a lot of people ask me, you know, like, what did you do to get to the point where then you got staffed on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and then you got Diary? And, and the thing, the truth is it was like a million things. And I think you've talked about this on your podcast of just like attacking things from from various angles. I I, I think it's um like you can't just, in my opinion and in my experience, Um, it's like, I couldn't just be an amazing assistant because then at a point somebody would have asked me for my work and I wouldn't necessarily have that. And I wouldn't have had like my voice cultivated. And on the flip side, and everybody's journey is different. This is just my personal, on the flip side, if I had just been like honing my voice, I don't know if I hadn't been an assistant and meeting those people. If I had met the people who would say, Hey, can I read your writing? So you kind of have to, in whatever way you do it, and I'm not saying that means you have to be an assistant. It doesn't mean, you know, there's there, you can be, do that in any different way, but you have to kind of be attacking it from multiple angles. Attacking is a really negative verb because it's also so, it, to me, the process was, it was, you know, stressful and intense, but like really fun. Yeah. Because when I said attacking it from all angles, I meant, I mean, like my friend and I started a workshop called see what sticks 
for people to put up um, works in progress in a black box theater. And in that way, I honed my voice. I got to honestly practice being a showrunner and running that. I had a community every month. It was incredible. That was fun. That wasn't because I had to do it. That wasn't because I was checking a box. And then like when I say like meeting people and making connections, like I think networking gets such a bad rap. It's just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hanging out. And I don't want to network with people I don't want to hang out with. So I don't. Yeah. Um, like you and I, I guess technically like net or met through networking, but you're like a great person. And I want, I, we are friends friends and we will work together. So it's like, yeah, we will like attacking it from all angles. Doesn't have to be like, what's my homework. It's like, what brings you joy? And like, what, and then when those things coalesce, it's like, it's, it's just putting a lot of spoons in different pots because there was like that day when somebody wanted to read my writing, I had it because I'd been working on it. And I'd also like the right person asked at the right time. And I just, also, there's no rush. There's no rush. I can't stress that enough. You're not in competition with anybody. Everybody's path is different. I, mine is, looks nothing like I thought it would look like. And I'm so grateful for a million reasons. And I know it's only going to keep surprising me. Um, but there's just no rush. Like, I remember when I moved to LA after New York, I was like, I can't believe I didn't get internships in LA during college. And like, I, even now like directing, like I didn't go to film school. I don't know what certain things on the camera are called. Like we, we all have our own things that we're insecure about and we wish that like, but there's no, your path is perfect because it is yours. Ugh, look at that. Just perfectly said, like <laughs> such a perfect way to end this. It's true. And I think the more you take ownership of your path, I think that's how you find that yeah. confidence to kind of tie it all back in. That really brings yes. you joy and kind of makes the experience mm-hmm. just that much more rewarding. And that's it. I mean, that's all we have because the rest is like ultimately not in our control. You can do all the things and attack it from yeah. all the angles and then it'll happen when it's meant to happen. And I believe in that. Yeah. I think it's like I've said before that I feel like Hollywood, it's it's not a ladder that you climb. It's like a, it's like a spiral pyramid. And every time you go up this pyramid, you're kind of seeing the same people along your way up. And I feel like it's, it's Mm -hmm. an act of resilience. And the more time you've been here, you're like, Oh, shit, like, you're still here grinding it out. And then it's almost like, come on in, because like, clearly, you really want this, Mm -hmm. because this the beginning is so challenging for so many people finding that community. It's like finding all the things that are going to be inherently your journey take the longest I find. So that's why yeah, I think a lot of people kind of get lost along the way. So I think you you said it beautifully. And I didn't need to even add to it, even though I did. So no, you do too. <laughs> I love that. You're Thank so you. welcome. So before I let you go, I want to end with our lightning round. So five questions answer as quickly as you can. And it's fun. Okay, so first question, what's a song that teleports you to a happy place? <laughs> Um, the circle game by Joni Mitchell. It's a very sad song, but it teleports me to being at camp and feeling young and like the whole world was in front of me. I love it. What's the latest piece of art that moved you? It can be a book, a film, a TV show, anything. I just did like my million three watch of sex in the city. And I, I, I just think the show has its, you know, issues but in terms of what it did at the time god it really i love it okay fill in the blank when i'm overworked blank helps ease the stress friends friends okay 
What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. Oh, that's that's good. Um, I think it was in my mental health. That is the most worthwhile investment, I think, by a long shot that I've ever made. Yeah. Highly recommend it as well for the listeners. Okay, so this is the final question. It's a silly one, I find, but I love it. So borrowing from inside the actor studio, which I would assume you also know and love. Um, the, the question- I went to it live did in you? Oh my God, okay, so this is gonna be perfect. So this yeah. question is the question he asks all his guests and it's borrowed by the, the famed French journalist Bernard Pivot. And the question is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I would like to hear her say. <laughs> could Sorry. be her. It could be her or they. We don't know. Um, I would like to hear um, like, I, you know what? I would like, this is so, I would like God to hold up a mirror and, and I, this is, I'm cheating. And I would like to be like really happy and feel really full. And I would like God to be like, look, like, look at what you did and look at how you feel. Because I think I, I'm, I'm so, I'm trying to get better at accepting reassurance mm. um, and seeking it. So I want to feel that way. And what God can do is show me a mirror and be like, you feel that way. You did it. You're full and happy. I love that. I mean, people will say that God is a mirror of us anyway. So I think that's a beautiful... Like, I, that is really true. I guess I made this accidentally like really super spiritual. Super religious, um, yeah, and spiritual. But here, we're here for it. We're here for it. No, that's a beautiful visual. And look, I think it's so cool to get to have this little moment with you. It's this quick hour to just capture some of your wisdom at the very beginning of your journey. You still have so much more to do and accomplish. Oh. It's so exciting. And who knows, maybe one day I'll do like a... 10-year reunion of the podcast, catch up with old guests and see what they're up to next. But um, but yeah, like this this show really is about that community. The listeners, um, they really f just love getting to hear from from women like yourself who have navigated the space with confidence and, and integrity and joy and are here kicking ass and taking names. And it's awesome. It's, it's a pleasure to know you, my dear, and to be oh, in your likewise. orbit now and keep bothering you and stalking you until we get to do something great together. But likewise. Yeah, so thank you for taking the time and coming on the show. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm at Carolina Grofa. The show's at Angle on Producers. And I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>